Welcome to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon. Now, J.J. Green. Director Hastings, supercell storms are a fairly new phenomenon. Tell us how the recent supercells that impacted Alabama, well, tell us how the recent supercell storms have impacted Alabama. Well, first, um, supercell storms aren't a new phenomenon, quite frankly, but it is new to the public. And I think it's the evolution in the way we are trying to communicate with the public. Because, I mean, they're the biggest part of trying to not create a disaster within a disaster. So um, they've been around, you know, the term has been around for over 60 years. And uh, supercell uh, storms are basically a large thunderstorm with something extra. And that extra is uh, a certain amount of shear, energy, a prolonged updraft that creates this huge thunderstorm with very warm, unstable air, uh, which provides the energy uh, and just enough wind shear to allow this thing to build. And the more height and power you get in the storms, it's more, um, it has a greater proclivity to uh, produce large winds, hails out of the anvils of storms, or in some cases, the tornadoes. And so in Alabama, we're really concerned about this because if you if you look at the tornado data, a lot of people think that Tornado Alley is Oklahoma and Kansas and um, kind of the central flat regions of the United States there, just east of the Rockies and towards the Mississippi River. But if you look at the data in deaths, uh, Alabama's number one in total deaths, Alabama's number one in average annual deaths. And the greatest number of very large, powerful storms, EF2s and above and EF4s and above, actually occur in a region closer to the deep south. And I would describe that area in accordance with National Weather Service data as kind of like Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, the region there. Okay. And so that's where we're seeing a lot of those storms right now. And there's a lot of hazards associated with the supercell thunderstorm. All right. Uh, we've got a few questions to tick through here. How important is the ability to communicate with FEMA ahead of time and regularly be prepared for these types of storms? Well, communication is the key to everything we do. Without our networks and without our communication, we have nothing. Because we, uh, as an EMA and operating state emergency operations center, is that information comes into us. We analyze it and then get it to where it needs to go for action and mobilization of activities, fill in gaps, and figure out who needs what and where. So uh, communication is a part of every facet of what we do, which is the exercise, preparedness, the response, and the recovery aspects. And so the before, during, and after storm, we're always in contact with FEMA uh, and communicating with our partners. And uh, communication is basically the key everything that we do, whether it's face-to-face, via radios, networks, or telephones. Okay. Um, what is Alabama's, uh, the uh, Emergency Management Agency's process for staying connected with state and local partners? How do you stay connected with state and local partners? Well, it starts from the beginning. Uh, we have, you know, winter storm exercises, hurricane exercises, severe weather exercises. So throughout the year, whether we have storms or not, we are testing our systems and our connectivity, both on the front side of getting people together and talking during the uh, activation or exercise of an event and on the back side of after action reports. So 
um, we are always in constant contact with our partners. But when we go into an event, uh, our FEMA is already already a part of our state coordination group calls, which are just phone calls um, to get people uh, across our state agencies and sometimes uh, specific local leaders into a call together to talk about what's coming, what are the threats, and then concerns that we have or help that each other needs to give to make sure our, our locals are successful. And uh, that communication continues in the activation of a state EOC. So we activate on the floor, we're kind of in hybrid operations right now, where on the floor we have our close emergency management coordinated partners from the state and some uh, private enterprises uh, and uh, power companies and water and, and utilities. But then we also have a hybrid model where those emergency management coordinators who are kind of associated with emergency services functions, which is a part of the NIM structure, they then have uh, this hybrid model where they use MS teams and they open up uh, virtual meeting places where they can pull in a multitude of people across the entire state. And it gives us uh, the best of both worlds in some cases where you have people on the floor uh, in close coordination with each other face to face on a moment's notice when things arise, but then you can open that aperture wide to gather more details and talk with a larger uh, amount of people uh, using a, a virtual methodology. So I kind of like the, the method that we're using right now. And our uh, state EOC is not that big, so we can't put a whole lot of people in it. Okay. Different disasters require different approaches. Talk about how the Alabama EMA prepares for the different types of disasters you can get. Well, there are specificity and peculiarities with each disaster. But one of the things that uh, I don't like about disasters is that um, we become the children and the color of the money from our parent uh, federal agencies to the point where you're in a COVID disaster prep or meeting and someone says, hey, we wanna use that money for storage of emergency preparedness PPE. And then we would say something like, well, can we partner with you for our emergency management PPE? And like, oh no, you're emergency management, we're emergency preparedness. There are similar activities in the preparedness, the, re the response and the recovery that are the same habits and skills that you need throughout every incident. Now, what you do and the capabilities you bring to bear are different in each one of those. So that's why we exercise each year to get the specifics of those um, exercises and those disasters down. We think through the complexity and unintended consequences of cascading events, but the, the communication and network is really very similar for each one of these events. And then you can add and subtract partners as events grow or contract during the life cycle of a disaster or based on what you said is that, you know, there are some specific things and uh, uniqueness to each one of the disasters. That you have. Okay. So um, what role does the private sector play in achieving your goals, your mission sets? Well, we really, we don't do anything well as well as the private sector. They do logistics well, they supply well, they have all the infrastructure, um, we're the government and we bring people together. So what we're trying to do is incorporate uh, our supply chains into our, our response and recovery. Because you know, if you follow the same framework of the federal disaster strategy, it's federally supported, state managed, locally executed. And when you think about the local execution, we just try to put you know, uh, resources and funding is available to locals to make sure that they respond and recover. But ultimately, if if the money's not flowing, recovery's not going. 
the first inkling of you are on the road to recovery is businesses are open, money is exchanging hands, people are going into normal daily routines. And if you can't get your, your private enterprise both to embrace preparedness, but also those ones that are kind of uh, situated to help in the response and recovery activated, it's just hard to, to think that the government's going to do all these things because they don't. Uh, and that's why uh, we use the mantra, a prepared employee is a present employee. A prepared employer employs prepared employees. This is a community effort. Everyone plays a role in preparedness. All right, two very quick things. The uh, importance of communications technology in getting your mission done. Yeah, um, I think the the um, the uh, tsunami and volcano eruption in Tonga is a great example of if you are not connected, you are not connected. And silence is not golden. Just because you're not hearing anything from someone doesn't mean they're okay. So uh, they have one fiber that was going from Tonga to the rest of the world. When that was severed by the huge earthquake by, from the volcano and the tsunami, we lost all contact with the outside world. And so redundant, reliable communications is an essence and the foundation of emergency management. And those IT solutions, they play a role in it. So, you know, I've got two phones on different networks. I've got a radio on a, uh, a radio phone on a different network. Um, we're able to connect with sat phones. And then here we also have landlines and we stay the emergency operations center just in case the internet goes down because voice over IP won't work. So IT solutions to that are so incredible. And I look forward to the day where we have satellite constellations in low Earth orbit that are turning our cell phones into satellite phones to give uh, ubiquitous, um, full-time, 24-7, seven-day-a-week communications to anyone in the world between the 56 parallels. And those things are just around the corner. So IT plays a huge role in how we coordinate, how we collaborate, and how we make decisions to help people in Alabama. Very last thing, how does the public figure into preparing for disasters in Alabama? Well, I'll tell you what, this, during the wintertime, it's a great example of this. Uh, our best offense is sometimes a good defense. The more information that you can give to people, the more you can communicate and move people to mobilize, to have an emergency, to prepare for themselves, be connected to critical weather intelligence so that they minimize their threats or exposure to the threats, uh, our citizens are then less likely to be a part of the problem less likely to create a disaster within a disaster or create a self-induced disaster in a non-disaster event. And so the, the, our communities, our individuals, they play a huge role. We are only as strong and only as resilient and only as prepared as our individuals are. And community resilience and social cohesion, it still is a leading indicator on in how society uh, survives but also thrives on the back end where we take care of each other. Okay. Director Brian Hastings, Alabama uh, Emergency Management Agency, thank you so much for your time and uh, all of your very vital information today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon on WTOP. 